0: That's what I'm talking about, son. Get you some of that That'll pie. Woo-hoo! you there! There's your bug-eyed big one right there. Getting started. We're getting started. That's what I'm talking about. God dang gorilla! Let's go, baby. Straight meat.
1: God, look at that big. Welcome in everybody to the Bam Pod. This is your host, Big Ed. And on the line tonight, I've got a 30-time Bassmaster Classic qualifier. I've got a co-founder of the MLF. He's from Mingus, Texas. I have Mr. Gary Klein on the line. Gary, thank you for calling in, man. We really appreciate you being on the show.
2: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh having the opportunity to talk fishing and hopefully uh uh, you know educate or, or or let the listeners you know develop a better understanding about the fish that they try to catch
1: yeah that's you know we had we had just talked about that a little bit before we got on the show here and it's if you're tuning in right now to not get educated and to not learn about fishing turn it off because this guy right here has got a ton of knowledge just a wealth and I've been an idol you know he's been one of my idols and it's been I've been trying to get him on this show for a long time because I want to hear what he has to say and our topic tonight is going to be offshore pre-spawn fishing it's that time of year we're coming out of winter it's still here and it's not over yet but these fish are going to start moving up I know it's the waters are still cold right now but you know, it's coming. That spawn is coming, it's going to come fast. Come around April, you know, these these fish are going to be on those beds. And one of the toughest times to really catch them is as they come and start moving up towards that bed. But when you have a guy like Gary Klein on the line and you can pick his brain, because he's been doing this for a couple years, you know, he's been he's seen a few of these transitions and he's seen a few of these uh these these uh these areas of expertise I guess is what we're going to be looking for and Gary you know talking about this um how is it uh, first I want to ask is this even a time of the year that you really enjoy fishing this pre-spawn area
2: oh without a doubt you know I'm one of those anglers and thank you for the kind introduction uh basically I'm just an angler that has a deep passion for fishing whether I'm competing uh I just love to go fishing so you know, whether it's crappie or bass or whatever it is, I enjoy to be in the outdoors. And, of course, you know, I was born and raised in Northern California. So if the majority of your listeners are on the West Coast, there's not a water body in Northern California that I haven't spent probably quite a bit of time on. You know, from Bullard's Bar to Orvilles, where I was raised, Shasta, Lake Almanor, I grew up on Lake Almanor. And, of course, Clear Lake and the Delta, I got, you know, extensive background down there. Of course, I was, you know, raised by D. Thomas when I met him when I was 15 years old. Mike dad. I grew up with Mikey, as I call him. And, um, you know, Mikey used to take me fishing all the time on Lake Mojave, Lake Mead, Lake Havasu. Uh, And I spent a lot of time in Arizona, fishing all the Arizona lakes. So, you know, extensive knowledge of what those fish do at this time of year But not only that, but I've had the opportunity to experience water bodies across this country. And I think it's really important for anybody that has, you know, their favorite lake or, you know, their favorite set of lakes or maybe their favorite time of the year they like to fish. Normally when somebody tells me that, oh, man, I like to fish in the summer or I like to fish in the fall or I like to fish in the spring that we're about to talk about that really gives me a good understanding of their techniques you know the way that they prefer to fish and how they enjoy to catch fish because when you i when you isolate yourself to a certain time span that's your favorite time of the year to fish then you're basically telling me that you have one or two or three techniques that you're really good at and that's what time of the year it really works but i got news for everybody These fish live in those water bodies 12 months out of the year. And if you're limited to three or four or five lakes, develop an understanding for seasonal patterns because you catch, you know, you're fishing for the same group of fish, whether they're deep or shallow, whether it's cold or warm. And I think that's important to understand because I enjoy to fish 12 months out of the year. And And I feel that with the knowledge comes confidence that yes, eyes and anger can figure these fish out. Mm-hmm. And that's how I was raised. I've kind of been very self-taught um, because back in the early years in the seventies, when I started fishing, it was basically trial and error. Uh, I'd read a magazine about a technique, or I would go to a tournament and somebody just beat me doing something I've never heard of like jigging a Hopkins spoon or, or you know, back then it was a Bobby Garland spider jig or, you know, the Bobby Garling gets it. I would take those lures and spend days and days and days fishing just that lure. Trying to develop an understanding for it because the more an angler fishes, the more knowledge they acquire, the more experience they acquire. The key to being a, a very successful angler is don't get caught up in everything. And what I simply try to say is I try to keep fishing very basic, for me, very simple, because all anglers, there's no two anglers that I've ever met that fish exactly the same way. There's no two anglers that I've ever met that read the water exactly the same way. And that's always been one of the really cool things about a very competitive sport, is that very unique, It's a very, it is, it's an individual sport. And you're not competing against the competitor, you're competing against the fish. At the end of the day, when you had your weigh-in, then you just see how your knowledge stacked up with the other angler's knowledge. And that's what we call the weigh-in. And a lot of times at the weigh-ins, and I've experienced, you know, many, many times, you know, I'm at the bottom of the sheet. Well, I'm at the bottom of the sheet for a reason. That's because I did not figure out the bite or I got hard headed and I tried to, you know, not listen to the fish and do it, you know, GK's way. And sometimes that has made me very successful, but sometimes it turns around and bites you a little bit too. And I see so many people put so much emphasis on the lure that, they fit, that they're that they're fishing. You know, they, they think that that lure is catching the fish where I'm kind of a little bit different. When an angler is catching fish, I like to see that anger pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, I can figure out these fish. I'm good at catching them. And the only reason why you're catching them on that lure is because you're just like me. We only tie one lure on the line when we're catching a fish. And just because that fish bit that lure doesn't mean it was the only lure that fish would have bitten. Um, you know, So don't fall in love with your fishing lures. Always look at your lures as tools. Look at your equipment as a tool and start developing a better understanding about the fish because I'm leading into the topic that we're about to discuss. And the topic Hmm. that you you sent to me was, you know, fish and pre-spawn. And this is a very Hmm. exciting time of the year. And the reason why majority of the anglers get excited about, you know, fish moving into spawn and all that bit is because the majority of anglers, whether they believe it or not, or shallow water anglers. They read the water with their eyeballs. And what happens when, you, when you're when you a shallow water angler, like me, I mean, I grew up on the Delta in Clear Lake and Sutter Bypass and Butte Creek. And I look at a log and I see a jetty and all that bit. <clears throat> Those fish in the springtime, depending on the water body that they live in, are forced shallow by mother nature so they can spawn. And what the springtime does is it puts a higher percentage of the population of fish in that shallow water zone, which makes them more accessible to the majority of our angling population, is kind of the point that I'm trying to make. You know, it's very unique in Northern California because you have man-made reservoirs, you have a natural water body like the Delta, or excuse me, Clear Lake, I call that a natural. It's the, nat, it's the largest natural mm-hmm. lake in, in California. Then you have tidal, which is the California Delta, which is a phenomenal fishery. Changes, everything evolves in cycles. You got to stay current with that. And also in Northern California, you have smallmouth, you have spotted bass, and you have the largemouth bass, and also the Florida bass. And the reason why I kind of categorize them like that is because most people can look at a northern and a spotted bass, or a northern and a smallmouth, or a spotted bass and a smallmouth, and they can see the difference. They're totally different species of bass. But yet what most people don't understand is that a northern and a Florida are two different species of fish, just like the smallmouth and a spotted bass. They're completely different fish. Um, And they act different. They have a different personality. And also, fish are conditioned by the water body that they live in, whether it's clear, whether it's deep, whether it's dirty, whether it's shallow. And in Northern California, the anglers are very fortunate because all the water bodies in Northern California have extraordinary bass populations in them. I see it every year. I'm envious because of the event that you're fixing to have on Shasta, and I'm not there. Shasta Shasta was always one of my favorite lakes. But now Shasta, like Orville, has changed. Because in the early early years, there were no spotted bass in those Northern California reservoirs. They had a fish in there Mm -hmm. that was called a red eye. And if you caught a red eye that weighed a pound and a half, that was a large one um but it wasn't until the early 80s after i left california that they started introducing the spotted bass in the northern california lakes for example lake bullage bar was a lake that i grew up on it was only you know 45 minutes out of orville and i fished it quite a bit and it was strictly a largemouth a northern largemouth fish population a big bag of fish at that time on that lake would be 12 and a half 13 pounds now since i left they introduced the spotted bass. Of course, spotted bass got on the trout, the Coconies, and they just blew up. same thing at Shasta. You're seeing these spotted bass now really starting to get big. They're, they're on those you know on a trout diet. But one thing that right. that was very obvious to me that as I watched Shasta, I watched Orville evolve to the fisheries that they are today. The spotted bass, completely took havoc on the smallmouth population. And um, anyhow, that, that that they just completely dominated, <laughs> ate, ate all the fry, and that's why you have the spotted, which is a fun fish to catch. I love catching spotted bass. But take wow. it into the topic that we're about to discuss. Right. Pre, you know, pre, pre-spawn, this time of year, um, you know, guys start thinking about what's about to happen or what's going to happen first you must understand especially on your large water bodies all population of fish do not spawn at the same time In a lot of your big reservoirs that have high populations of fish it takes two or three months for all of the population to spawn out because a lot of your main lake fish are not going to you know swim way wherever to go spawn they wait until conditions are right. But what we first have to remember is that Mother Nature is what forces those fish to spawn. And when, what, I, what I mean by that is it's their egg development. Um, and, and sometimes we as anglers get way ahead of the, spawn, the actual spawn. You know, we say we're looking at February, and then all of a sudden in February we have a week of 80-degree weather. We're thinking, oh, my God, you know, these fish are going to be on the beds. Well, it takes time for those eggs to develop. So that's why not all of the populations spawn on these water bodies at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because, Because bass are like people. They're individuals. They have their own personalities. Some fish like to be in crowds. Some fish are loners. Some fish are homebodies. And some fish like to cruise. Again, I always said that fish are conditioned by their environment. And what I mean by that is water clarity, food source. There's two things you have to have in any water body to have a good population of fish, and that's habitat and food. You can't have a good population without that combination. And when that combination aligns, it gets real special. And that's why when you see a lot of these reservoirs, when they're flooded out and it's high and the fish move in and spawn, they have a really good spawn, then that lake will benefit from that in the years to come in the future. Mm. Uh, Which one thing that's really interesting, and of course, you know, I'm heavily involved with major league fishing, as you mentioned, but I'm also Mm. heavily involved in our fisheries management division at major league fishing. I work very close with our biologist, Stephen Barden, who is just a phenomenal individual? He is, is eating up his passion for fish is the same as my passion for fish. Uh, I like to catch them and he likes to grow them.
1: Tackle Warehouse has been the premier online tackle shop since 2003, with a huge selection of not only the latest and greatest from the biggest brands, but the hard-to-find regional specialties as well. Tackle Warehouse. Click. Save. Fish.
2: And uh, <laughs> he works with. Uh, we work with the state agencies throughout the United States um, and we've got so many programs going on. And one of our big programs is habitat restoration. For example, Orville, when it was completed in 1966, you know, the top level, of that lake's 900 feet. And what mm-hmm. they did is they actually did a, a, a clearing, what we call kind of like a haircut, and they cleared down, I believe, like 100 or 200 vertical feet. But when they cleared, they just cleared the standing trees. So when Orville first filled, it was solid, flooded Manzanita. So you had all the bushes in the water and, you know, the coves uh, were just loaded full of standing trees. Of course, like any aging reservoir, and one thing about shafts in Orville and other northern California man-made reservoirs that fluctuate extensively like they do is erosion has taken its course. And now there's no shoreline cover. And that's what allowed the spotted bass to take over from the mm. smallmouth. There's no, there's no cover for the offspring to get away. And when they do spawn, mm. I mean, it's just fair game. I mean, they eat them up like crazy. Yes. Um, so anyhow, all that's really interesting. But when you get back to thinking about these fish moving, not all fish move at the same time. And they all don't spawn shallow. Um, they do have to get you know to where they have sun pen- penetration yeah. so if you if you're fishing a shallow water body, those fish will move you know up less than ten feet to spawn um and that's that's probably the best scenario for me because I'm a shallow water fisherman, and if I can't see the fish, they're easier to catch mm. um gin clear gin clear water when these fish move in to spawn uh, it can be very tricky uh, there's a lot of techniques that we developed to catch those fish but normally in clear water the fish are dumber on a long cast and uh, you know that's just one thing that mm. i've learned from from a lot of time on the water but and then the other thing that you have to kind of throw into the equation is the angler itself mm. all anglers like I, like I stated earlier, you know, there's no two anglers that fish exactly the same way. I don't read the water the way you do. You don't read the water the way I do. And your strengths may be different than my strengths. And what I simply mean by strengths, you're listening to an angler that started competitive angling when I was 15 years old. And, of course, you mentioned my credentials, you know, with BASS. Uh, you know, I think when I left Bass in, in 2019, I competed, like, in 435 BASS events. Um, so I've experienced a lot of what I'm about to say. And the cool thing about it is that because no two anglers are the same and we read the water different, the greatest battle that I've ever had in competition, and I continue to have it even to this day, is I have to look within me to make good decisions. I do not have a network. I good. do not talk to 30, 30 guys at every tournament. I don't want to hear what everybody else is doing. I want to go to that lake. I want to break it down, and I want to fish my way. You know, And if my way is not good enough to be a competitor, then I need to learn it, study it, understand it, practice, 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 and elevate myself to their level if that's what it takes and of course you see a lot of that going on now the forward-facing imaging I love the technology you know I've ran the lance, I've got the best there is and every day I'm on the water I'm developing a better understanding of how to use that tool now you've seen some of our anglers that have become very extraordinary with it because that's all they do and I don't know if it's because I'm old school and it's hard for me to not pick a flip stick up and you know pitch a jig in the bushes, around the boat dock, or pick a crankbait up. But even when I'm fishing those techniques, that technology helps me as an angler because I can read what's in front of the boat. I can see a brush pile. I can see how far out that laid out log comes. So I use my technology to benefit me as an angler. And the reason why I say that's important is because, again, I have ways that I prefer to fish. And I have techniques that I prefer not to fish. And any time you go fishing, the worst thing that you can do in the course of a day is try too many things. You know, because then at the end of the day, especially if you're practicing for an event, there's there's only two things that you do in practice. You eliminate or you establish. And if I run a technique or a pattern, what I perceive to be a pattern, and I run it all day, unsuccessful then I got to figure out why it was now you know may just lead me to the mother load or the right technique you know when it comes tournament time Uh, but that's always been the way I've been brought up I work very hard I practice very hard but I practice on my own for example this event I left Texas uh, two days early and I spent two days on Clarks Reservoir in Georgia And I went there for one reason, and that's to, again, further my understanding of this forward-facing technology and try to develop techniques that go along with the forward-facing imaging, because it is here to stay. It's a phenomenal tool, but just because you go out and spend X amount of dollars, you take your boat, you have it rigged by an expert that really understands it, You go use it doesn't mean you're going to catch any fish because the angler still has to tie a lure on the end of his line and make the proper presentation to catch the fish that he's Mm. seeing on the screen. And that's where the majority of what I read all the time from anglers that give all of the credit to that technology are wrong. Mm. Give the credit to the angler that's using that technology. You know, it's for example. Here's here's another really good thing: the uh, Alabama rig. The yeah. Alabama rig, you know, came on the scene big time. And yes. all of, you know, there's a lot of anglers that use it, and there's a lot of anglers that opposed it. And I was like, God, I love the technology because <laughs> it triggers a, it triggers the fish to bite. And anytime you can come up with a technique or a method to trigger the fish to bite, it's pretty cool. But I've seen so many times where guys, I'm going to throw an Alabama rig all day. and I go, okay, good luck. And at the end of the day, I said, well, how is it? Well, I didn't catch anything. You still have to have the knowledge when you're using a tool to catch bass of knowing where to throw it, how to retrieve it, yada, yada, yada. And you Hmm. just can't do that by tying a lure on the end of the line and going out and expecting to perform at a high level. Now, whether, and I'm not talking tournaments, because there's a lot of your listeners that are not competitive anglers. There are right. anglers like myself that just have a passion for fishing. We love to go out on a Saturday and just absorb Mother Nature, be in the outdoors and catch a lot of fish or catch a big fish or etc. It's that angler that has to practice and to improve his mm-hmm. skills just as hard as I do. That is. If they, at the end of the day, they say, "God, I wish I would have caught more," or "Man, how come I don't catch the big ones?" When those weekend anglers start saying that to themselves, then they're just opening up, you know, a whole new chapter of bass fishing. You don't have to compete in bass fishing tournaments to enjoy this sport. Uh, like I said, you know, I've been hooked on it for a number of years, <laughs> and I'll die fishing. Uh, I just, I enjoy it. So getting back (laughs) to the topic, (laughs) which, 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 you know, I kind of ramble a little bit, but a lot of that is so important because I want to see a father and his daughter. I have Mm -hmm. two, and they both enjoy to fish. I want to see a father and his son, or I want to see a buddy and his best friend enjoy their time on the water. Mm -hmm. And if it means catching 28 bass that day and having a couple sixes in there, then that's awesome. That's probably a day they'll remember for, you know, those are $1,000 days. And when you look, and I've had so many of them, when I put my boat on the trailer, I just go, wow. There's no reason to even try to tell anybody what I just experienced because they won't believe me because they've never experienced that epic type of fishing, whether it's smallmouth or spotted bass or largemouth. It's just like, it's a wow. And that's what we all fish for. That's what that's what makes us continue, and it may be one bass. You could be on Lake Shasta and open up your tackle box and go, man, look at that swim bait. I just spent $85 on it. I better tie it on and throw it, and you pick it up and tie it on. The wind's kind of pushing you back and around in a pocket, and there's a little secondary point. You wing it out there, engage the reel, and you get a six-pound spot that clocks it. <laughs> you, you know, the first spot that most people have in their mind – Man, this one bait is like killer. I just spent eighty five dollars <laughs> on it. My wife's gonna kill me because now I got to have a spare. You know, I got to buy me another one just in case I don't lose that one. And that—that's part of the enjoyment. But what I would like to tell that angler mm-hmm. that just experienced that—it was you, the angler, that tied a lure on and made a cast and caught that fish. Now listen to what that fish just told you. You know, where the fish came from, you're ready to retrieve and yada, yada, yada. Because chances are, if I was in the boat with you, there's probably a half a dozen other lures that we could have tied on and made that same cast and caught that fish. Hmm. So don't get so wrapped up in the lure itself. Now, don't get me wrong. I've been down that road a bunch, and I got a lot of really good stuff. But you have to develop that understanding. Because when you're fishing a water body, and sometimes you know you have a real easy day fishing and sometimes you have a tough day fishing well a tough day to me fishing is when i learn the most Mm -hmm. you know when you're when you're Mm -hmm. when you're actively engaged in the act of catching them you get very tunnel minded so you know if i'm on clear lake and i got a reed bite going or i got whatever going and i'm catching four pounder five pounder six pounder dude I don't even think about what the world, what the rest of the world's thinking about. I'm looking down the bank and I know that right there is the next place I'm going to catch me a fish. And, you know, your enthusiasm is up, yada, yada, yada. And I, don't get me wrong, I enjoy those days as as much as anybody else. But what I do on a day like that is I think, okay, I'm catching them on this. I bet you I can catch that fish that I'm about to throw to on this and I'll try Hmm. something different. And what I try to do is just elevate my learning curve because there's there's a lot of lures that are on the market that catch fish. I mean, there's thousands of them that will catch fish. Mm-hmm. There's, thousands, there's thousands of them that will catch anglers. <clears throat> <laughs> but, but some lures are more efficient than other lures. And what I mean by that, just think about a Rapala, Chad rat. one of the best you know, fish-catching little baits mm-hmm. out there, yada, yada, yada. Some of those lures, you can't cast them. They're a booger bear to cast. You can't, you can't control them. So then you got to modify them and all that bit. But an angler, each angler has to work through all that. So his toolbox becomes better and better and better. Some anglers love to fish fast. Some anglers love to fish slow. And Mm. slow anglers like to maybe do whatever they do, you know. Like one of the favorite techniques for me, especially fishing in Northern California, is fishing a drop shot.
3: Mm.
2: I mean, how can I not like fishing a drop shot? I mean, Aaron Martin is one of my best friends. And Aaron Martin turned me on to how to fish a drop shot. And I quizzed him. I spent hours with him in the campground, yada, yada, yada. He painted this picture in my mind with a drop shot. But yet I, as an angler, had to take that information and go – and practice, 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 until I felt I had a good understanding. That is one of the most efficient rigs there is for catching bass, because it has so many different applications to it. And one of the things that I've worked real hard with, with that particular technique, if this makes sense, Mm -hmm. is how to fish, is how to fish fast, slow. Okay. A lot of times I like, you know, I like to keep going. I don't like to die on a place or die on a bank. I like to go, go, go. Yet one of the keys of fishing a drop shot is the presentation. You can do that presentation fast or you can do that presentation slow, yada, yada, yada. And we won't get into that because (laughs) that's a completely different (laughs) But But what your listeners are about to experience in Northern California is phenomenal. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've had a lot of rain. Uh, the reservoirs, I know they're still dumping out of Oroville, I don't know if they're doing Shasta, Uh, but usually this time of the year, you get off-colored, you get a rising water, Mm -hmm. and you know, those fish are pulled from the clear water into the dirtier water when it starts to warm, and you do have a lot of fish on those water bodies that spawn deep, and what I mean by deep is if the water is real clean, like maybe the bottom end of Shasta, uh, you'll see them spotted bass spawning in 10, 15 feet of water. Hmm. Um, I know that, you know, we had, uh, oh, we've had four BASS tournaments on Lake Amstead. Lake Amstead is a clear water reservoir border in Texas and Mexico. And all four of those events we had were in March and April. And I finished in the top 10 and three of those events, uh, bombed in one of them. Hmm. But all the fish I were catching were deep spawner largemouth. And I had several 30-pound bags, you know, 27, 26-pound bags. But now all these fish were spawning in 20, 25 feet of water, and they were all on ledge rock. But these these fish were all main lake fish. I wasn't up in the creek. And these were fish that didn't travel to the back of the pockets, you know, to spawn. They stayed in their home range and used the ledge rock on vertical breaks to spawn. And I see that a lot, like on Lake Mojave. Lake Mojave is one of those lakes that has a lot of verticals, and a lot of those big fish will spawn on that vertical ledge rock. Um, So the spawn is different. You know, most anglers think of a a wind-protected pocket, and they ease in on the trolling motor, and they look around, and they look down about four or five foot, and they see a pair on the bed. And they go to the other side of the pocket, and they see another pair on the bed. I would bet quite a few dollars that... They just saw two spawning pairs because they're a little bit shallower. Chances hmm. are there is probably more spawning in that pocket. They're just offshore a little bit. Hmm.
3: Okay. So, right. I mean <laughs> it's very
2: fascinating. Yeah, I mean it's very it's very fascinating. Uh, but again, you know, all of our anglers that have time on the water uh, have experienced what I'm talking about, and will continue to experience that. And the cool thing about Northern California, like, Mm -hmm. for example, Clear Lake. Clear Lake fish are late spawners because of the uh, elevation. Clear Lake was always a May month for spawning activity. Where down in the valley, you have a lot of fish down there that start spawning in March. You know, first, first part of March. And they spawn all the way through to June, July. Uh, You know, we had an outdoor game competition (laughs) many years ago. Some may remember it. On i was, Pol- uh, I was yeah, there <laughs> Pol- yeah well when we were on that lake shaw grigsby was my partner
3: mm-hmm. and
2: i flew i flew out a couple of days early and you know I, that was back when nobody knew anything about the drop shot you know yada 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 and i kind of developed a one-two punch hmm. you know i had two big schools of fish spotted bass that i found on a drop shot i knew we could catch the fire out of them um, so we ran top water in the morning, you know, caught a couple of big ones and we go get our limit and that worked out really good. But the interesting thing is that when Shaw showed up, Shaw and I went out in the boat together. I kind of showed him a little bit about what we had and the game plan we were going to do. Shaw looked at me and he goes, let's go find some spawners. And I go, dude, they're all done spawning. He goes, nah, they're not spawning. So at the time, the water elevation on Folsom, the big flat out in the lake mm-hmm. was about four to six foot deep. I just watched Shaw. Shaw went out there and dropped the trolling motor, and I'm sitting back in the boat, and I'm thinking, "Yeah, right, spawners." Shaw, oh, 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 man, there he is, right there. I get up and I look. There's a five pounder spawning. <laughs> I go, oh,
0: we'll we'll
2: catch it. We'll catch him tomorrow, and we sure did. Shaw caught him on his first cast, and that fish was in six foot of water in the middle of the summertime, spawning. Um, so, anyhow, you know, just little things like that have opened up my eyes. But again, the majority of your fish on a good reservoir that has a high population of fish, they all don't spawn at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, your northern reservoirs, it's March through June. You know, uh, a clear lake is May, probably into July. You know, of course, you got the Delta down there, and they spawn early down there in the backwaters. Mm-hmm. Well, all of the fish. Don't move into the backwaters of the spawn. you know, so in different parts of the Delta will go off at different times. You know, I've seen that right. so many times, you know, the Sherman Lake area, you know, the White Slough area and potato Slough, you know, hmm. they're not all spawning at the same time. Hmm. So, you know, yeah, if but, you're fishing in a farm pond in your backyard or out on your yes. ranch. And you've got a five-acre lake and yeah chances are those fish are probably going to be doing it you know, within <laughs> the same same couple weeks
1: right um you know this is <laughs> man
2: well this, and, and this, well, this is
1: this has definitely been a, a show that I, I i you don't leave me any questions so that's great man.
2: <laughs> you well, well there's one <laughs> there's one one thing that i forgot to bring up
1: sure Uh,
2: Because on all the water bodies, well, the majority of the water bodies in Northern California, you have multiple species of fish. Right. Go back and research those fish. They all don't spawn at the same time with your water temperatures. Your largemouth or your later fish to spawn, your spots in your smallmouth will go off first. But yet, if you think about a spotted bass and you think about a smallmouth, you think about a largemouth. A largemouth will spawn on wood. They'll spawn in the standing timber because their eggs are adhesive. Their eggs will stick. <laughs> Where a spotted bass and a smallmouth, not they have to be in the gravel. Uh, you know, they they lay, You know, now don't get me wrong, do too. Right. But for example, many years ago on Lake Shasta, there was a uh, Merle Haggard used to have an annual tournament up there, and you know they gave away a ranger boat. The last Merle Haggard tournament I won, this is, you have to go back and check the records. you're going to see me, but it was a few years, <laughs> few years ago, I don't know, 81, 2, 3, or something like that. I was fortunate enough to win it. Mm. And one of, my, one of my key techniques was fishing in the marina. And back then, the marinas were built different than the way they are today. All of the slips, <clears throat> the outer part of the slip, Was connected by an underwater two by six. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So when you entered the slip, your boat, you know, pulled over that two by six. It was down about four foot, maybe five Mm -hmm. foot. Well, one of the days of practice, I was in the marina and I was trolling motor by the boat slips. God is my witness, there was a spawning pair on every boat slip. Wow! And now I'm I'm talking about in the marina where I'm over a hundred foot of water and I was catching spawners off them two by sixes and, you know, five foot of water. And hmm. I thought how cool, how cool was that?
1: That, that? That's a hard thing to think about over, you know, over a hundred feet of water and they're spawning fish just because they have their, like you said, their eggs will stick to that lumber.
2: Oh, so. exactly. I, you know, I've had so many experiences like that, you know, in the southern end is the event that we just fished two weeks ago on Toledo Bend. Obviously, one of the finest fisheries in the nation. Everybody saw the scores. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guys knocked it out of the park. But yet, years ago, when I came out uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, I spent a lot of time on Toledo Bend. And Toledo Bend is 87 miles long, and it's all standing trees. Now, a lot of (laughs) the trees have all rotted off now, but back then it was all standing timber. On the bottom end of the lake, in 45 feet of water, from the Texas side to the Louisiana side, they have what they call these east, east-west boat where yeah. so You can travel from one one side of the lake to the other side of the lake, and they're, they're buoy-marked. There's a lot of big timber, a lot of big oaks out there. Yeah. I had several days where I had my flip stick, 25-pound test line, a 6-inch black Berkeley lizard, and about every big tree I went to— would have a spawning pair of bass that were spawning in the, uh, in the angled branches right in, right in the crotch of the tree mm-hmm. over 45 foot of water. Wow. And they were, I mean, you catch, you catch, go from tree to tree to tree to tree, you know. And so it, it, what I'm trying to say, the example I was trying to use is that bass are conditioned by the environment that they live in. So it's real important for the local angler that fishes a limited amount of lakes, or, or I don't care, fish, you know, like I yeah. do across the country, but it it's very important to understand the reservoir that you fish in. You know, look at the fluctuation. When I tell guys out here, oh, yeah, you know, I worked at Bull Canyon Marina, and I've watched that lake, you know, come up 27 <laughs> feet overnight. You know, it fluctuates, you know, 130 feet a year, vertical. Right. They they don't comprehend that because a big water drop out here is eighteen inches, you know, <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. on a lot of, yeah, on a lot of these lakes. So, but again, though, if you took a bass from California and you brought it out here and put it Santee Cooper, it's going to live, but it's mm-hmm. going to adapt to this environment. Take a largemouth out of here, take it out there to Oroville and drop it in. It's going it's going to adapt. I mean, you know, they're they're just fish, and you know they adapt. So it's important to understand the water body that you fish and and, and experience the cycles. There's so much information available. There's no reason why an angler that's just a weekend fisherman or somebody that has a passion for fishing. Mm -hmm. If they do a little bit of research and of course, you know, with the internet, I mean, you can learn so much. For example, this is me. Okay. Mm -hmm. All these years of, this is just a funny little story. (laughs) All these years of experience, I'm a, I love to fish a spinning rod. I mean, I've won three BASS tournaments on six-pound test line on a spinning rod. And everybody out here in the early 80s called me a sissy fisherman because I used a little <laughs> sissy rod. All these guys out here were, were bubba fishermen. Well, I was very limited with a spinning rod because you had to deal with line coil. So normally I would never fish greater than eight. Ten was a pain because you reel would fluff, yada, 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 well. All of a sudden, you know, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I heard about everybody fishing, or, you know, the guys starting to fish braid and splicing leader to your braid, and there's the Alberto knot, there's this knot, and there's this, I mean, oh my God, but when I understood the braid, now it just upped my spinning rod fishing, to now it's a very lethal weapon in my boat, because now I've got my... My braid, I've got my leader spliced. I never have to change my braid during the course of the year. But yet, you know, I change leaders all the time. Well, I struggled with a knot. Hmm. I struggled so much. I mean, the knots I tied sometimes were good. A lot of times they were bad. So one year on the circuit, going into the first day of competition, I would drive over and find Mark Davis and bring six spinning reels with my leader, and I would have Mark Davis tie my knots on my spinning reels because I didn't know how to tie the knot. I, I couldn't tie the knot good enough to where I felt comfortable. So I was at Lake Champlain sitting in a hotel room, and I just Googled FG knot because that's what Mark tied, and I loved the knot because it, it was foolproof. You couldn't hear it through the guys, but I didn't know how to tie it the way Mark Davis did. But I heard there was multiple ways to tie it. So I, I YouTubed it, and I found a video from an angler that was sitting at his kitchen table in San Diego.
3: Hmm.
2: And it was called FG Knot. And when I watched him tie that knot, I thought, God, that is stupid easy. I know how to do that. And I ran down to my truck, and I got two spools of line. I came back to my hotel room, and I've tied that FG knot perfect ever since then. Hmm. But I researched it. And the point I'm trying to make is there's so many videos out now. You can google anything. You know, and that's one of the cool things about fishing rods. For example, I'm sponsored by Duckett. Yeah. I'm not fishing his rods because of any money, okay? I'm fishing his rods because it is a complete line of actions. Because <laughs> I like an eight-foot flip stick. Well, some guys don't like an eight-foot flip stick. You know, they like a seven-six or seven-eight or whatever. Same thing with a cranking rod. You know, I like certain actions that I've gotten so comfortable with, and Boyd makes a complete line of actions. And it allows me from crappie fishing to whatever type of fishing I'm doing, but I understand the blanks because I fished that blank for years, but I don't have a lot of different actions in my boat. I only own one spinning rod. It's a seven, one medium. And all I, I don't, I own that one spinning rod and I might have six of them in the boat, but they're all the same spinning rod. It's because I, as an angler, know that blank very well. I know, I know, you know, my hook set, I know what to do with a, with a big fish, you know, yada, yada, yada. My flip stick. I only have one flip stick. I use it for everything. I even throw a Carolina rig on. But I have about four actions that I use. Now, I do have some specialty actions like a swim bait rod or my Mm -hmm. little crappie rod. But as far as basics, I keep it to where I've learned it. I've used it. I've got thousands of hours under my belt. And there's no doubt when I get bit, I get to put my hands on that fish. And that's probably one of the differences between a touring angler that fishes all the time versus somebody that goes out and enjoys a sport once a month or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with it. But yet, if they get 10 bites, chances are they may only land five of those fish.
0: Hey folks, Randall and I want to talk to you real quick about choosing the right electronics mount for your Bass Boat. Mark and I have been partnered with Bass Boat Technologies from the very beginning, and we know the quality and effort that Van Foster has put into this company. Custom, that's the one thing that I think about whenever I think of Bass Boat Technologies. Van Foster has spent years, not hours, years perfecting these mounts. He works with just about every Bass Boat company out there Most models for every bass boat company out there, he has spent the time working on these bass boats. So what you get is a custom fitted mount, not some mass produced universal mount for every bass boat out there. Van makes them custom fit for your bass boat. Bass Boat Technologies also makes a lot of other custom parts. Seat pedestal plugs, tool holders, steering wheel spacers and battery trays are all made with the same attention to detail that Bass Boat Technologies is known for. Bass Boat Technologies is a vital part of our livelihood, and it's very important to your overall boating experience also. Absolutely, and that's why we choose Bass Boat Technologies. Check them out at BassBoatTech.com. You'll be glad you did.
2: If I get 10 of those bites, chances are I'm going to put my hands on all 10 fish, because not only have I... Not only have I studied rod, reel, line, lures, knots, my hooks, but I've also studied my posture in a boat. You know, the angers that compete, all of us have studied ourselves. For example, I'm right-handed. There I'm not a good caster like most of our guys are. Mm. I mean, I can I can get it there <clears throat> because I'm persistent. Now don't get me wrong, I make it look easy. But some of my casting is a struggle for me. Hmm. But I've learned it. I've studied it. But yet, I'm right-handed. I feel, I, if you ever watch me on video,
3: uh-huh.
2: every cast I make, my shoulders are square with my retreat. And I never set the hook to my weak side. I always set the hook to my strong side, which is my right side. <laughs> because from the right side, you can't pull the rod and reel out of my hands. From my left side, you can jock the, you can jack the reel, twist it in my wrist until I gain control. So I always try to set the cast up so my shoulders are square and I set the hook to my right to my strong side. That's how much I've studied me as an angler. Yeah, you know, I don't sit down, I always stand up, I don't use a butt seat. That's because it's more comfortable for me. A you know, butt seat hurts my lower back if I sit on it all day, which I have. I've tried it. The only time you see a butt seat in my boat is if I'm in big ways and mm. I got to wrap my foot around something to kind of stay on the bow. I'm just trying to make some points mm. to help anglers. Now I'm talking about a very high level and I'm talking about 45 years of, you know, doing this. <laughs> so regardless of what level you are, if you're a 15 year old kid like me living in Northern California, you know, going to high school, at Los Blumas High School, school was, you know, was something that wasn't. I wanted to go fishing. I wanted to fish. So, as soon as I got out of class, I was on Lake Orville fishing. I lived it, I breathed it, and I had to teach myself. And then, when I experienced a competitive tournament, I knew my sophomore year in high school that was my dream. I wanted mm-hmm. to follow my dream. But the only way I could do that is practice because when I came out, I competed against Jimmy Houston, Roland Martin, Rick Swan, mm-hmm. you know, the Murray, the Murray brothers you know, Tom Mann, Bill Dance, and I I felt that I I had to really accelerate my learning curve to where I understood myself, and of course, back then, it was even harder because our equipment that we fished with at that time was not very dependable, our engines, our power trims, our lower units, because the industry was evolving what it is today, now anglers can launch their boat in the morning, put the trailer on the boat at night, and think about going fishing the next day without having any equipment problems or having any issues about hooks or mm-hmm. having any issues about knots. because there's so much information out there. If they put forth the time and are willing to study it, they can elevate themselves as an angler for the next time they're on the water and they get ten bites, they put their hands on all ten fish,
1: yeah, uh, preparedness, I guess that's uh the best way that you can you can state what you just said, you know, make sure there's no reason to not be prepared from the way you're you just told us the way you set up to cast, the way you approach any you know approach yourself out there on the water the 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 rods you get everything preparedness i mean that's what i hear out of you completely there's no reason to not be that and if you want to be that guy that just like Gary said it catches every one of the fish all 10 you catch 10 you or you hook 10 you catch 10 that's what he's talking about that's that's amazing man that you're you know
2: and you and you you know how it all starts it all starts when you the anger go fishing on the weekend Mm -hmm. And, you know, you come in and you didn't catch anything and you go, hey, I enjoy, I just enjoy being out here. I could care less if I catch anything. But if you come in and you put your boat on the trailer tied up to a dock or whatever you're doing, or maybe you just bank fishing. I mean, I grew up fishing mm-hmm. on the bank. But when you ask yourself, how come I didn't catch any? Or how mm-hmm. come I don't ever catch the big ones? Then you're on that path to becoming a better angler if you're willing to to study it there's no reason why you can't be successful anymore my god you can you can video crankbait fishing spinnerbait fishing buzzbait there's no technique that i'm aware of that doesn't have an extensive amount of information on it you have to understand the information that you're viewing Mm. is from one angler's perspective so don't take it as the gospel take it as an understanding and go out and improve on it and make it better. Like one of the best books I ever read when I was 15 years old was Buck Perry's Spoon Plugging. <clears throat> because what I enjoyed about the book was his, his thought process in breaking down a leg. Now he was using a trolling method with lures that he built that would maintain a certain depth range, but yet Here was an individual back in the 60s that was way advanced. But where he was way advanced was not necessarily his technique or his method of catching fish. Where he was really advanced is with his understanding of the fish that he was fishing for in that water body. And it all boils down to time of year, type of lake, type of water body that you're fishing, and the main species of fish that exists in that water body. For example, when you go to Shasta, when the mm-hmm. guys compete this week, nobody's going to win Lake Shasta with a limit of smallmouth. Okay? <laughs> they don't. They don't exist.
3: Yeah.
2: So you know, get that out of your mind. You know what it's going to take. If you study the results of the, I think they've had like two in the last couple of weeks up there. Mm-hmm. All the results are public, and you can see guys are catching a really good solid limit of spots weigh 12 13 pounds and bingo catch a five or catch a six Mm -hmm. you know and they and they win because that that there's only two ways you're going to separate separate yourself from the group find an area that has a better quality of fish versus catching a bunch of two threes now you find an area where you're catching two twelves two fourteens a three one you know that sort of thing or you catch a big fish and a big fish under those conditions sometimes you can force a pattern with a bait so if you're fishing a big glide bait or whatever mm-hmm. and you know you're fishing for limited amount of bites but if you're only looking for one bite and you got a 13 pound stringer already in the box why keep catching those same fish that's mm-hmm. the other thing that happens in competition you'll have anglers that for whatever reason They develop this extraordinary bite. They've got it dialed in. I mean, they're catching the dog fire out of them. They're catching 60, 70 a day. At the end of the day, they weigh 12 pounds (laughs) or 11 and a half. But they're having a time in their life and they're, you know, they're they're beating on their chest and oh my God, I'm gonna win this event. I'm warning you, do not fall into that trap. Because (laughs) what happens? Fishing for pleasure is different than competing hmm. and what happens to a lot of anglers is that they catch just enough to get behind you know god right. almighty i caught 100 hundred, hundred today <laughs> and i weighed 11 11 pounds well at some point in the time in the day you need to change your presentation or change the area of the lake or change you know change your pattern and, and go look for better quality fish i mean that's yeah you had a great time and you can go a tournament for two days and have a great time, and get zero return on your investment. because <laughs> you, know, you know going to compete is not cheap. And I've always looked at my competitive angling as an investment. So when I go and practice and I try to better myself, and I go to an event, my return is to win, or my return is to do good, or qualify for events like our heavy hitters, or Red Crest, or World Championship. You know, so every day I'm on the water, not only am I fishing for that mo- in that moment for that day, but I'm also fishing for the future and trying yeah. to, you know, develop, you know, things in the future. But anyhow, no. fun sport, I love it. <laughs> I'm passionate about it. Dude, I can talk for a week. Uh
1: I, that, that that's plainly obvious. And I'll and I'll tell you <laughs> well, before the show, uh, Gary and I were talking a little bit about um MLF and how it kind of came about. And, he, you know, he's one of the co-founders along with Boyd Duckett, and they were discussing it. And it was a small story in there that he started on. We've got about nine minutes left in the show before we, you know, before I have to start extending the the edit buttons out. But, (laughs) um, and I can just tell you right now, I have not had a question to ask because you were one of the most efficient speakers I've ever had on this show thank you for that um
2: well thank you thank you
1: and I I haven't had to hear
2: thank you yeah no thank you very much yeah I I
1: have not had to hear my voice hardly at all so um and and I'll hear my voice plenty this weekend so what the what I'd love for you to do is tell us a little bit about how you know in this last few minutes of it I, I usually give this time to new anglers coming up and going hey tell us your sponsors tell us who you are I don't think anybody doesn't know who you are and I'm pretty sure that most of them know who most of your sponsors are, but I'd love to hear how you and Boyd came up with and decided to do um, MLF over. I mean, not to say it, but I mean, Bass was the standard forever and you guys have come up with something that is now just amazing.
2: Well, yeah. And we're only five years old, Um, (laughs) but let's let me go back to what I was saying earlier about fishing evolving Mm -hmm. and that's that's the same thing all of us all of our anglers all the anglers well the majority of our of our anglers that we have on the mlf circuit i mean we were all raised fishing bass because bass was the only game in town okay um and you know from the early ray scott days i mean i love the band i spent a lot of time with ray Uh, Ray got a kick out of me because, again, that was him evolving because his organization and his anglers in that organization caught the attention of a 16-year-old sophomore in Northern California, and I set my goal to come out and fish BASS. Um, So that's the true evolving of that sport. And, of course, as time went on. We had a lot of West Coast anglers that came out here over the years. Some stayed. Some came out and tried it for a couple of days or Mm -hmm. a couple of years and went back to the West Coast. So everything was evolving. But, again, you're talking about somebody that qualifies the 35 Bassmasters Classic, angler the year twice, won, I think, eight tour events uh, on the uh, BASS circuit, yada, yada, yada. But while I was involved in BASS, involved – it went through multiple leader changes, okay? Yeah. And BASS, was it, and it is today, I mean, it's a phenomenal organization. I mean, their grassroots, uh, their conservation department, I mean, our conservation department works with theirs. I mean, just great, great people We're all in this together. I mean, because what we want to do is we want everybody to enjoy the sport of fishing. And, uh, you know, there's no bad blood or anything like that. But what happened is that I, like a lot of other anglers, just felt like there was a lot more, that we could elevate the sport in a different manner and make it more of a sporting event. That was kind of our goal. And basically what happened, what led to what we are today was a conversation that Boyd Duckett and I were having at the Bassmasters Classic in Shreveport, Louisiana. We're out there spoiling line, you know, getting ready to – I think we were we were staying at some cabins uh, further down the river. We were on the Red River. And we just started talking about, yeah, you know, we got to do this. we got to do that. You know, it's the Bassmasters Classic. But how cool would it be if we could do this? Or how cool would it be if we could do that? After mm-hmm. the tournament was over, <clears throat> Boyd and I continued that conversation. And we thought, you know, let's, let, you know, let's try to put together a group of guys and see if we can. So I started writing down the list, you know, from, from you know, Edwin Evers and, you know, obviously Kevin Van Dam and Mark Davis and Timmy Hall. Ho- I mean, all of our original angers. There was 15 of us. Hmm. And there was 15 of us that said, yeah, let's try something. We wanted to create a competition for TV. That's what we wanted to do. And we wanted to expand our audience to non-anglers, to people that just get captivated by the competition, you know, and the anger, yada, yada, yada. So we started with our 15 anglers and all 15 anglers ponied up a couple bucks and we formed a corporation and we started working. Well, when we knew, Boyd and I knew that we needed a media partner Because none of us, you know, know, we're not going to buy TV time, and, you know, yada, (laughs) yada, yada. And it just so happened that we uh, actually, Boyd and I, Jim Wilburn, Don Rooks, the original group, and we're all out there trying to, you know, sell this thing. We flew to Canada, and at that time, Roger Warner, the head CEO of the Outdoor Channel, the timing was right because the Outdoor Channel was number one in hunting, and they wanted to become number one in fishing so we pitched them on our idea we we hadn't even shot up we hadn't even shot a pilot yet and they loved what we were trying to do and they became our media partner and the outdoor channel and uh, the pbt which is the bass pro tour Mm -hmm. which is the group of guys that invested in it uh we formed a partnership and that partnership was called major league fishing. And we created our first cup. Matter of fact, the first cup that we ever filmed 2016 on Lake Amstead or I think it was 2016. I I probably got my dates goofed up, but whenever it was, it was on uh, Lake Amstead. Mm -hmm. And from there we, we just started rolling. The ratings were good. Everybody was talking about it. And we started building our platform with our format, And the format, when we were flying back from uh, Canada after the meeting we had that day, we hadn't even shot a pilot, Boyd looked at me and he goes, you know that format you've had in your head? You need to write it down (laughs) so Mm. we can start working on it. So when I got back to the house, got a yellow notepad, sat in my boat out in the shop, and it took me 30 minutes to write the format. Once I wrote the format, then I wrote the rules and uh those are pretty much all in part today you know where we are we continue to grow continue to grow 2019 we formed the bass pro tour where we have 80 anglers that are competing on the bass pro tour which is where we are at our stage two event here at santee cooper uh going into our fifth year of competition and uh in november of 2019 we had the opportunity uh, to purchase FLW. And uh, a group of us anglers got together and uh, created some phones along with our partner, the outdoor channel. But actually what happened, what I left out, is that our partnership was purchased by Mr. Stan Kronike from KSC. And that's Kronike Sports Entertainment. And their corporate office is in Denver. And Kronike owns the L.A. Rams, the Denver Nuggets, Mm -hmm. uh, another uh, world uh, uh, soccer team. And he's invested in sports pretty heavy. But Stan is also an outdoors person. And we had no idea how this acquisition was going to take place. We met our new partners. They got to know us. They came to our cups when we were competing. And they loved what we were doing. So they helped us expand into the Bass Pro Tour. They helped us with the purchase of the FLW event. And we went from a very small group that basically had seven event or nine events a year to the largest tournament organization in the United States. where I think this year we'll put on two hundred and thirty eight competitive angling events across the United States. Wow. From high school to college to BFLs to the COSTAs, tackle warehouse invitationals, and the the best pro tour
1: that's amazing uh i mean just to hear that story (laughs) it's just amazing how that came about um thank you for sharing
2: that (laughs) you're you're (laughs) welcome and and, and to your listeners yeah beware beware of your conversations with your buddies because you have no idea where it's going (laughs) to (laughs) lead
1: exactly um no, I'm gonna make the owner of this company listen to it. That's for sure. <laughs> so, he is definitely. You know, in part- you go. He is imparting on a new deal out here that we talked about earlier. You know, the West Coast has always been a very extremely hard place to start these things to to branch out. We are doing our best um to bring these these guys out here. And I think one of the things that I heard the most out of what you just said was you had, you know, you went and you got these fifteen guys that started. Uh, but there was also yourself. There was Boyd Ducket, uh, Kevin Vandia, all the, all these, all these anglers. That's what I heard the most out of it is you started with anglers, anglers that have been doing it for a long time, not just promoters, not just guys who are wanting to make money. You're talking about anglers who wanted to see the sport grow, the way it went, and they wanted to see these special rules put in place, and these are the new ways that we want to do it. And I think that's probably the unique part about what we have going off here now with BAM, with the BAM trail, is our owner is an angler, and that's where he's been all his life. So mm-hmm. it's it's very interesting to hear that you guys, you know, came from anglers and, you know, I mean, you're obviously yep. – Honestly, great businessmen at this point, too. So it's, well, yeah, well,
2: yeah, we've learned, we've learned a lot trial and error, right? But the bottom line is that this sport has so many good, good people, so many good people that are connected to the fishing industry, so many good people that have a passion for fishing and understand, you know, we have a group of guys that we all share the same common goals. We enjoy to fish. We want to promote it and show it to the world. We want guys to make a comfortable living. But most important is we want our audience to enjoy fishing too.
1: Couldn't have said it (laughs) better. So at that point, Gary, unfortunately, we're going to run out of time. And I don't want to, but I have to cut you off. And we're going to, you know, so thanks again, man, for coming on and doing this. You're... Definitely one of my favorite the people that I've ever had on the show. Um, when I met you, to th- what two years ago at ICAST, you did the same thing with just one lure. You know, you showed me how to throw this rip bait, and we're talking about it. And you just the passion that you showed for that, and it just God, I'm glad I finally got you on here. Um, so thanks for coming on and doing this, man. I really appreciate
2: it. Well, well, I appreciate having that opportunity. <laughs> and again, anything I can do to help anything in the future you have my number
1: i do and i will uh i'll call it because i'll tell you what the guy who told me no matter what he's like oh you really got to get him on the show you'll just love what he does is shaw grigsby and and i've been yep. a big fan and a friend of sean's for or for of shaw's for a long time and, I, and i'll tell you he was spot on you were the guy to definitely have on the show glad i did it and thank you because next week i'll be at shasta um on the Bam Trail and. Bam be looking for all these, you know, all these new tips and everything else that you just gave out to everybody.
2: So, Hey, Hey, I'll, I'll be, I'll be following the results. I always pay (laughs) attention to what's going on out there.
1: Well, good. We appreciate that. And, um, again, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. And for everybody tuning in tonight, I can't even say how much that I hope you picked up and learned from this. I may have to change it because we, we left, um, you know, the pre-spawn stuff a little bit, but, uh, I I will probably rename it how to become a true professional in this sport, because this guy right here just showed you how to do it and just told you exactly how to do it. So, um, thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to y'all next time. Thanks.